Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-game. game podcast today it is july 5th i am doing another solo episode this week midweek just to touch base and keep things rolling on i'm looking at this now it looks like i don't have a back to my hat but that's all right i hope everybody had a great weekend great holiday fourth of july practice some good social distancing and all that good stuff so this week on monday we had an episode with chris kelly chris kelly is um a friend of mine we're in some masterminds together He's doing very well with what we call paperclips clicks. So on the paperclip stuff, um, some of the things that I thought were interesting weren't necessarily the, the immediate details he gave on, on what he was doing on paperclip specifically, but I do want to touch on um, picking markets and just having your, your head wrapped around some of the things that he talked about, that there's no deals the psychology of it, the scarcity mentality, because one of the things he said that I thought was really interesting, everybody in the U.S. starts to go, oh, there's no deals, there's no deals, there's no deals. And he's somebody who came over from a different country. And when he looked at his country in the U.K., he was using the analogy of ponds. And he said, you know what? This pond is a small pond. And look at all the fishing lines that are in this pond of people looking for properties. Now you look at the entire U.S. and you look at how much bigger that pond is and how many more fishing lines are in there, but look how much more inventory there is. Look how much more opportunity there is. And I find that a lot, even if it's state to state or country to country, you find a lot of the times the people that come over here from other countries, they excel. They see a lot more opportunities and a lot less obstacles and they just push through them, whether they're true or not. And I think that people get in their head about picking markets and where to pick and where to start. And what that turns into is that you do nothing. So that's a, a big thing. So I'll spend a little bit of time going over the tactical stuff on how to actually pick markets and some of the things I think you should be looking for and some of the ways that I have picked my markets in the past that have worked out well. And uh, I also want to go over the psychology of that. So starting with some of the, the actual mindset stuff of it is he literally came over. And if you started asking around for anybody that's been investing in real estate on a, a decent level for a, a decent amount of time, Florida is always known as a competitive market. I mean, I, I had said this a couple of times. We had some guests on that. I know we're in the same market and, and I tend to do this too. I compare myself to people on social media or on group chats or whatever we're on. And I'll look and I'll say, you know what? I really want to invest in Memphis or Tampa or wherever it is. And all of a sudden I'll see somebody else that has a podcast or is that that's posting that they got some deals or they have their own Facebook group for Tampa investors or Memphis investors. And I go, well, shit, you know what? I, I'm not going to be able to do anything in that market. This guy's already got it locked in. And then I meet somebody else and they tell me, oh, I'm doing a bunch of deals in Tampa. I'm doing a bunch of deals in Memphis. And I'm like, well, do you know this guy? I have no idea who that is, but I get a bunch of deals. I guess he's doing okay. He gets a bunch of deals. So you start to think that there's only a couple of them out there. But when I really look and I think about the amount of people I know right now in real estate all over the country 
that are doing six figures a month in the same exact markets, they're all still pulling out deals. It's out there. It's just a matter of, are you going to psych yourself out? And the fact that Chris came over here from England and decided to get into the, the Florida market and some of the hot spots like outside the Fort Myers area, it's a very tough market to get. He's coming in there and he's creating an amazing life for himself and for his family and he's knocking out deals and he's doing a great social media presence on there now. So he could have sat there and said, oh man, everybody wants to invest in Florida. You got international people coming in that want to live by Disney. You got all the retirement money. You got all the East Coasters coming there. I'm going to go find another market. But he didn't. He went in and he figured it out and you start to look at it that he went in there and he started figuring out a marketing channel to get some leads coming in. And then he had to study. He talked about EOS. He talked about traction. You have to study the data. We're in the business of analyzing data, or as Chris Kelly corrected me, data, his data he analyzed. So that's going to tell you the story. So you really have to just pick someplace, probably a handful of different cities. You don't want to go too big or too crazy, but pick them and just start approaching wholesalers, start approaching realtors, start approaching uh, um, brokers, start approaching anybody do, doing your, your list, pulling your list, having your cold calls there, doing your, your PPC, your pay-per-click. Um, whatever it is, your direct mail, but start doing it. So this isn't necessarily about your marketing channel, but whatever that channel is, just start going after it. And you'll start to be able to study that data. As long as you don't just go, I put out a bunch of offers. I spent a bunch of money on direct mail. It didn't work. Look at what specific areas you might be able to narrow down the east side of town versus the west side of town, the north side versus the south side, past this street or past this highway or past this major divider. Houses are a a totally different price point or a totally different type of thing, or there's different school districts. So I'm getting more on this side, less on this side, or I got a deal under contract, but none of my buyers wanted it because it's, it's this, not that. And this taxes are higher here. So as you start to see that, you'll see that, yes, initially it's a little bit overwhelming and confusing because you don't have any data to go off of. And then as you start to dig in, now you cast this wide net and you start to see what you catch. And I've been saying this over and over again, but I love it because the way you're going to figure out what you want is by figuring out what you do not want. And that really is what it comes down to. So you, caught, you, take, you, you, you toss out this big net. You go, okay, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into the Tampa market, the Orlando market, Memphis, and I'm just going to start throwing out some, some feelers, talk to some people I know, look at where some people are investing. And then you toss out this, this wide net and things come back and you see, okay, this zip code, this city, don't work. I'm not getting any responses there. Or even if I did, after talking to some buyers in the area, that's not really where I want to be. There's not a lot of cash sales there. There's not a lot of cash buyers there. There's a lot of vacancies. There's a lot of high crime. The days on market side. Okay, so now I am going to focus my marketing not on that side of town or not on that zip code. And then you get it back again. And then you start to dissect the data again. But taking those steps, the more you do it, you'll start to cast a smaller and smaller net and you'll have a, a tighter and tighter target to go after. And then you'll start to really know where to hone in your marketing dollars, where to really focus your efforts on. And as soon as you get it, that's one of the things I love about real estate. I know he was talking about spending 30, 40, $50,000 a month on pay-per-click. I think he's, he's, some of the posts were, were way more than that too, but it's more about having that information, getting one deal and then putting it back into the business to keep marketing. You'll hear person after person when you're listening on these podcasts that say the first couple of years when they start out, they're making money, they're closing deals and they're turning that money right around and they're just upping their marketing dollars. They're putting it right back into their, their VAs, hiring an assistant, hiring an executive assistant, hiring a cold caller, hiring a closer, acquisitions manager, dispositions manager, uh, bookkeepers, advertising, Facebook ads, all these different things. 
they're putting it back in and they're starting to build it up. So it's like Chris said, you, you start somewhere, you start with a smaller budget, you turn one deal, but on the psychology side of that, it's always been one of the things that attracted me to real estate. On the real estate side, it's the only business I can think of that you literally can make all of your overhead and expenses back on one deal. So even if you spent three, five, 10, 15 grand to try and get that first deal done and you turned around and did a wholesale where you're making 25, 30, or you flip it, you make 40 or 50 or you even aside and make that money back to know that, okay, now I have a buyer. Now I, I know my market. Now I know my channels or whatever it is. You're going to start to see that you usually get more than one deal out of your marketing waves. It will come. It'll be a little bit of feast of fam and you'll, you'll get one. It feels like it takes forever. And then two, three and four come and then it starts to dry up and you do another wave. But any other business you think of, Starbucks, McDonald's, a restaurant, uh, you know, coffee, all those things, anything you want to talk about, food truck, I, I've used the examples of McDonald's, you don't open up those businesses. And then within your first few months, be able to make back all of your overhead, you literally can look at facts that statistically businesses are designed to fail in the first five years. And most of them are have to be open five years to make a break even point. And now you're talking about on your first transaction, you can make enough money back from that one done correctly that you literally made all the investment money back in there and you have now profits that you can catch up on your bills, pay back all your marketing and double your efforts and now turn that into two or three or four. And now things start to look a lot different. And now that first deal, the psychology of getting it done and turning around and having your friends and family that maybe told you you were crazy, now they can't. So all those different things play um, a, a big part in everything that we're starting to do. So again, not to go on too much of a tangent, but the, the point there is that I, I love the, the fact that you can literally make that back. So if you think about it, it, you open a restaurant, it's the equivalent of you sold your first hamburger and now you can pay back all your expenses for opening up that restaurant. You open up a food truck, the first burrito you sell, you're getting all your money back. You open up whatever it is, you know, jujitsu, you, you get your first dude and you roll with them and now all your overhead is taken care of. So it, it's just a really cool thing. And I can't see that going that way in any other business. And there might be some of them out there, but to me, that's the exciting part about real estate. And when you start to really look at it, some of these transactions that, you know, I've made over six figures on in one transaction on deals I've never seen with people that I've never met, that gets exciting. So getting over the fear of figuring out the over analysis of what market should I go to? What if it doesn't work? What if it's overpopulated? What if everybody else has this, this market locked in? What if there's no deals? I'm new. They're going to think I'm an idiot because I still have to learn the market and they have it down. That stuff doesn't matter. I'm never going to judge anybody for trying. It's like, you know, an, an overweight person at the gym, somebody's going to point laugh, screw that. That person's on their first day of getting themselves in better shape and watch what they look like in three months, six months, nine months, 12 months. I'm always happy to help people that are trying to help themselves. And I'm finding a lot of the same thing in the circles in real estate. It's not that, that hard to find some big players in pretty much any market in this entire country right now that has a podcast or a Facebook group or some kind of coaching or mentoring program or JV program. And even if you choose to go in and spending marketing dollars, getting deals, find some of the big wholesalers that are in that area, find some of the big rehabbers that are in their area. A good flipper is always looking for good deals. If you can put some marketing channels in and, and be disciplined about your numbers and find a property, even if you don't have a team lined up to go and fix and flip it yourself, you can find a rehabber to buy that and give you five, 10, 15 grand, depending on the spreads to turn around 
And now they take that off your hand. And now you get a relationship going with them. Now you can start to study some of their deals. And now you can start to ask around for referrals for other contractors. Focus on the market. Maybe you wholesale two, three, or four of them and watch what that end buyer is doing with them. Maybe you see that, you know, their contractor did a terrible job. Now you know who you don't want to use. Maybe you see that the ARV you thought it was going to sell for, now it's not selling for that. Okay, so now we have to adjust. Maybe the contractor bid that you thought that property was going to take to fix up is nowhere near, or maybe it all checks out. And now your confidence is through the roof because you go, look, if I would have done that deal, my numbers were spot on. I said it was going to sell for 375 in under 45 days at or above asking price in this area. No concessions at closing. I said the contract was going to be uh, getting that work done in three and a half weeks for $42,000. I hit it right on the head. I nailed it. This is great. Let's do two, three, four. Now maybe I'll buy them, but you, you'll get your foot in there and you'll start and then you'll create your own presence in there. And the thing that I have found is I don't care where it is. I have flown all over this country, driven all over this country, gone for my own deals, gone and mentored other people on the deals, done speaking engagements in big cities, small cities, places, miles and miles, hours and hours outside of the major cities that I would show up there and say, I've never heard of this place before. Is there going to be deals? Is there going to be houses? What am I getting myself into here? And then when we start to look at the data and we just start to dig in and go, okay, I'm going to reach out to some wholesalers in the area. I'm going to reach out to some rehabbers in the area. I'm going to call some realtors, some brokers. I'm going to call some boots on the ground people. I'm going to start to look on Facebook, get into some groups around here. And Google Plus was the thing I was using. I'm going to get on some social media. I'm going to reach out and I'm going to find out what's going on in this market. And when they start to send me back that data, I make the decision of, is this a good market or a bad market? So again, for me, now we're looking at the tactical side of things. On the tactical side of things, that's what I will do. So I come into a new area. Again, personality types play a big factor in here. So if you're an overly analytical person, you're going to want to look at a lot of analytics to pick where you want to invest. And that's fine. That's a great thing as long as you don't overanalyze it and never pick one. Because if you want to analyze the metrics and the analytics of, a, of an area before you ever do it. And you're going to do that all over the country. You're going to be spending a lot of time crunching information that's never going to get you anywhere. So you really have to just, I, I use the phrase underanalyze and then overanalyze after accepted offers. So in that situation, some people are not analytical and they're good with just spinning a globe or throwing a dart somewhere. It all works. Everybody I talk to that gets deals has a completely different reason for why they pick their market and how they pick their market but there's deals everywhere. I don't care where it is, any city, state, or county in this country, I have found that there's an area of town that you can make a bunch of money doing real estate and an area of town you don't wanna be caught in after dark. It's, it's just how everywhere is. So we're just trying to find those places for what our strategy is. Now, the analytics for a rental market might be different than the analytics for a flip market or maybe for commercial or maybe for land development. It's all gonna be a little bit different. So the strategies will divide a little bit, but in my scenario, being that I know that all I have to do is get one market wired, get a team there, start knocking out one deal and the second deal. Now we can do two, three, four, five. That market's going to start to, as long as I set it up the right way and I set the expectation, that market's going to start to run on autopilot and it's going to take up a lot less of my time. So initially, it's very labor intensive. It's very hands-on for a few weeks of figuring out what pockets, figuring out what areas, figuring out who you're going to use, who you're not going to use, putting your teams together, going through that process, your due diligence for your first deal and your second deal. But then you start to put those SOPs in place, that standard operating procedure, that things are able to just go, you're able to get the data and then just review the checks and balances. And now you go, okay, that one's going pretty smooth. It's running on all cylinders. We're closing deals. We're making money. It's minimal headaches. It's not a ton of my time. So 
I'm going to go do this in another market. Now you can start to widen that. Or maybe you stay in the same market and you pick a different area in that market and use different marketing channels or go up to a higher price point or switch your strategy. Maybe you're wholesaling, so now you're going to flip. Maybe you're flipping, now you're going to go rentals. Maybe you're going to go to commercial. It, 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 it's all preference. But my point is, that's what we were doing. So I had a few markets that were going good. And I said, you know what? I want to open up a new market. So I literally just texted a couple of my business partners. I said, hey, guys, pick a couple of places and just let me know. And I'm just going to start doing exactly what I'm talking about here because I know that there's deals somewhere. I'm just going to focus on where my first deal gets landed. And that's going to really help dictate where do I want to put my focus. So for instance, on this, I said, all right, give me three cities. So they gave me, I believe it was uh, Tucson, Arizona. It was Omaha, Nebraska. And I forget the other one. Let's, let's say it was Memphis. I'll keep using Memphis. So uh, I said, hey, w why? Why are these the, the markets that you picked? And one of them, oh, Savannah, Georgia was the other one. So he said, okay, well, you know, I, my, my kid is named Savannah and my, um, my family, I have family in Tucson and I've always wanted to go to Omaha. I hear it's a great market. So that's my three. And I said, great. Doesn't matter the reason why. He gave me a place to go and now I had a direction. So I did exactly that. Now I started looking up realtors, looking up brokers, looking up wholesalers, looking up some of the people in that area that were already investing. And I started just contacting them and saying, hey, here's my deal criteria. Here's what I'm looking for. This type of property, this type of condition, this type of price point. I want areas that I can pick these up, fix them up and sell them in under 60 days. And I want to see comps of similar homes fixed up in the condition that I am going to fix them in that have sold in under 30 to 60 days. So I need to see houses that are selling in the last 30 to 60 days. And I need to see houses that have sold in under 30 to 60 days. So that way I'm not getting surprised if the market turns in a big way, because if I'm not seeing that people are buying the type of property I'm selling, which could happen, I'm out. And that, that was one of the markets I went to. So out of one of those three markets, I said, start sending me some, some data. So what I need you to do is I need you to send me some listings of some properties that I would want to put an offer on and potentially purchase. But included in that, I'm going to need to see some comparables to show exactly what I'm talking about and show me the data that it's not just your opinion that I'm going to fix this property up because I need to see statistics on how long did it take to sell? What did it sell at? Did they have to drop the price? Was there seller concessions? What was the actual rehab? What did it look like? Because maybe one sold at 300 and one sold at 330, one sold in a day, one sold in six months. I need to look at the condition and find out why did that happen? Because I don't want to make those mistakes. And if I can't really nail, nail it down, it's, it's the wild west for me. I don't really want to be in that market. So let's say, for instance, they, they sent me a listing and then they go, okay, look, here's the listing and here's some comps. And I started looking at the comps in this one market and none of the houses really fixed, fixed up to the condition that I would be fixing my house up to. And it wasn't making much sense because some of the crappier homes are selling for a little bit more. Some of the nicer homes are taking a little bit longer. There was, there was nothing that really resembled my product and the stats that I needed for days on market or last sale. So I just said to the person that sent them to me, look, it doesn't look like the types of homes that I do. My business model works in this neighborhood. Everything looks distressed, maybe a little more rental, but even the houses that are selling, they're not really selling a top dollar. They're not really moving quick. And there's really no rhyme or reason for why things are selling when and for how much. So she said, oh, well, I see. I see some of the stuff you're talking about. I sent her some pictures of some of the deals that I've done. And then she went, well, this neighborhood over here is actually where I, I work at or where I live at, or there was some variation of why she was tied to that neighborhood. She goes, this neighborhood might work a little bit better. So it was just opening up that conversation of I cast the wide net and then she goes, okay, well, you don't wanna be here, but now I have a little bit of a better understanding because you communicated with me of what you're looking for. Let's try this area. 
And then she starts to send me comparables in that area. And now I'm looking at, I'm going, okay, yeah, look, these houses look more like my end product. And now do you see that the ones that were on the market longer, they weren't fixed up to this condition. And some of the ones that were fixed up to that condition, if you really look deeper into the data, Chris Kelly, or the analytics on that, you're going to see that they overpriced it. They got greedy. And when they finally dropped it down to the price that it should have been, now that property is sold in under 30 days. So now I'm seeing similar properties in the condition that mine are going to look like when they're fixed up. And I'm seeing them selling in the last 30 to 60 days. So now I can get an idea that, okay, well, if I can get a property here, I can reverse engineer it knowing that if I look at my after repair value comparables, I can sell a house in this condition for $300,000 and it'll probably sell in under 30 days at or above asking price with no seller concessions. So now I have to go and find a property that I can acquire or purchase needing some rehab at obviously a price a lot lower than that. And I have to factor in all my costs and that's not what this specific one is about, but it's about just picking the market. So what we started to do was, was that and all those three markets and I just throw it out. I throw out a wide net to everybody and based on that, they would send it back and then I would study the data. I would study the analytics and figure out where I want to be, where I don't want to be. And, and I would tighten it up as I go. So, hey, here's some good properties. Nick, yeah, I see that. But most of these properties that you're seeing that are sold they haven't sold in six months, nothing sold, everything's pending and active. So that tells me there's not really any, any business there. There's no supply and demand. There's just properties sitting. And if they've been sitting there for six months and three months when mine's done, what's that going to be? It's just going to be another property. What if I look at these pending sales or these active sales and they sold for significantly less, now my values are going to come in lower. So I don't want to play that game if there's not activity recently. I'm not going to do that. So the other thing could be, hey, you know what? They sold but they were all in the market for six months, eight months, nine months. So things are not moving fast in this market. Maybe it's, it's agricultural, it's rural, or I don't know what happened. Maybe everybody just got chased out of town because a big industry there fell apart or whatever it is. So those are going to be some of the things. So again, I started putting out some offers on stuff. We, we narrowed down, okay, now we have a couple of different pockets around town of places that we want to start to market to. So in this specific instance, I was using other wholesalers and realtors to send me their properties and send me the analytics and then eventually one got accepted. And I think the one got accepted that time in Tucson. I mean, okay, great. Now we're going to go through the due diligence process. We're really going to dig in and figure out what's going on long-term, short-term, intermediate in this area. Is this an area we want to be? Is this an area we want to stay? Do we want to set up shop here? Maybe this is just a one and done. Let's see what type of experience we have with our contractors. How is our realtor? How is the city to work with? How are the other realtors to work with? And then we start to get a little bit more comfortable. They see how I work. I see how they work. And now we start getting two, three, four, five deals accepted. And you start to go, okay, cool. This is going great. Where's our next thing? And then you find out that some of them have connections in Phoenix. And we go, great. Markets aren't that far apart. We can actually kind of play off of both, use some, some similar things. And we can, we can watch that area as a whole and really start to expand our marketing to some of the cities outside Phoenix. So we had a couple of different properties going on in different pockets of Arizona, but I also like looking in some of those subsidies. So Phoenix is a really hot market. If you look at some of these really hot main markets, if you look in some of the suburbs or tertiary markets around them, maybe an hour or two outside, a lot of the times you're going to find out that they're not as competitive as some of these big major cities, but they still have inventory, they still have a demand, they still have stable economies, and maybe they don't have as much competition. So you can turn around and you can usually buy some properties in these tertiary markets for half of the price of the major market with half the competition of the major market. So I love looking for those big cities and then looking for the Tucson's around the Phoenix. I mean, look at 
the way Sacramento boomed after San Francisco. San Francisco, very competitive market. But you can find a lot of sub-markets of San Francisco that are nowhere near as expensive that you can really do a lot of damage in with a lot less competition. So that's something I definitely like to look into. Now, again, as far as the psychology of it, that, that's just what starts to happen. You, you're going you're gonna to plant seeds everywhere. And then when you start to see where you're growing the most flowers with the re least amount of effort, that's going to be where you start to focus on. But you're always going to want to have backup markets because markets come and go. You have your Detroit, you have your Californias that either markets maybe sometimes tank or maybe because they they explode and they just become so saturated and so crazy that you can't compete with them. So there's, there's always a way though. You just have to cast that large net and adjust. Maybe you want to invest in New York City. Great, five boroughs, very competitive. You're dealing with a lot of money for people that don't need as big a return as some of these flippers do. So they can afford to put more marketing dollars and they can afford to plant big capital and pay cash for things without any leverage. So maybe you don't do it in Manhattan, but maybe you can go to Westchester. Maybe you can go to Suffolk County. Maybe you can go 90 minutes across the river to, um, to Jersey or Connecticut or something like that. It's all just about being flexible, but you just have to start doing something. Don't worry about it. Pick a handful of markets, start contacting people there, start doing a little bit of light marketing there, do some testing, study the analytics of what comes back, study the results of what comes back, and then adjust to different areas. And you will find as long as you communicate with the people that are sending you deals of what's working, what's not working, what's marking, what's not working, and adjusting, you will identify the places that you want to be. And it happens a lot faster than you think. And you know, back to the psychology side as I'm wrapping up here, it's always funny because a lot of the a lot of the, the students that I'll work with on a long term, which I haven't done this as much lately, but they'll, they'll be in, let's say, California. And they'll say, oh, man, you know, California, it's so tough to get deals. I can't get any deals. It's so competitive. It's so competitive. It's so competitive. Everybody I talk to is trying to invest there. And then all of a sudden, they go and they'll knock out a deal in, in Baltimore. And then the Baltimore person will talk to that California person and they'll say, Hey, how did you get that deal? It's so competitive in Baltimore. They go, it's not competitive in Baltimore. It's competitive in California. In Baltimore, I went and I, I have all these deals and all these people and it was just so great. And the Baltimore person goes, man, that's crazy because I live in Baltimore and I can't get any deals there. It's crazy. It's so competitive. I'm getting deals in California. The California person goes, what? This is so nuts. How come we're investing in each other's markets? And that comes back to your preconceived notions of what may or may not be going on in your home market. So I find that people put these blinders on. They have these, this history of long-term experiences there that have nothing to do with the statistics and the actual facts of investing. So when you're looking at the data, you're completely emotionless and it's hard to do sometimes in your own markets. And my example, I remember I was listening to the, this California couple and they were talking about how, I'm sorry, this Baltimore couple, they were talking about how they're killing it. So the California guy goes, hey, well, where are you getting these deals in California? And the guy goes, man, we're, we're in Compton. And the California guy was like, what? Are you crazy? Why would you invest in there? It's a bad area. And the guy goes, man, I'm really glad I'm talking to you about this because I thought it was a good area. I'm making a bunch of money there. I'm flipping properties there. So they start looking over the statistics of the deal, the days on market, the date of last sale, the, the entry price, the exit price, the spreads. And he's going, you know what? When I'm looking at the numbers here, it actually looks like a good area and it looks like it's a good deal. Man, you're, you're doing awesome. Keep it up. And the Baltimore guy goes, well, why'd you scare me? Why did you tell me that this area in California was a bad area? He goes, I don't know, man. I've been living here forever. And I watched the movie and they said that Compton was a bad area. And so I've just been repeating it. But I've never really looked at any of the data to see what's changed in the last 10, 15, 20 years. A lot of these places that people thought were bad areas a long time ago, if you haven't checked those markets in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, they could have had a complete gentrification. They could be, I mean, look, look at New York City. 
there's boroughs of, of uh, places in, in Brooklyn and Queens that you literally, even, even Manhattan, that you couldn't even get a cab to take you to 10 years ago that are now some of the prime locations. I mean, you couldn't get a cab driver to take you to Brooklyn. Now places in Brooklyn are completely overpriced so people are moving out of the boroughs into some of the other states now or into some of the, the suburbs around Long Island, Westchester because of that exact thing. So I find that happens a lot is people cancel out their own markets because they're not really seeing the opportunities there because they have these weird, irrational, emotional preconceived notions of what's a good area and a bad area where it's not about where you're living. It's about where are you investing? And if you're going to just go and start pick a place and reach out to those contacts and they're sending you back the data, which is the comparables of what is selling for how much, how soon, and how recently. I don't care what you think about an area. I don't care what your parents or your great grandparents or some movie told you about an area. You could be losing money or wasting opportunities on places that you think are really good areas, but they're not good places to invest or places you think are bad areas and they're great places to invest by just studying those simple tactics. So that's a, a big point of here is just use data and start reaching out and just doing something. So you have to start to take those steps. And when you start to take those steps and make those moves, people will start to interact with you and then you will have a reference point to go off of to justify or not if you're in the right spot or not. You just go from there. You start with one deal and then you start to go to two, three, four, and five. And the experience you have during that will help guide you for, I don't want to be in here anymore or I don't want to use this person anymore. And that's a really big deal. And on the flip side of that, you get a lot of people that go, oh man, you know, I got a great area in California. They go, oh my God, where? And they tell them the place and they go, yeah, you know, it's, it's a nice place, but it's beautiful homes. You got nice parks and all these things. But if I'm looking at the data of this area in California that you now think is a great area, I don't see any recent sales. I don't see low days on market. They go, well, yeah, but that's because nobody moves. It's such a great area that nobody moves. Okay, great. Might be a great place to live. Probably not a great place to invest. And again, I try and always use facts. I do not want to use opinions. So when I get a wholesaler or a realtor or somebody pushing me to buy a property and I can't see that there's any facts of how long that's going to sit on the market and what it's going to sell at, if there's any concessions, to me, it's just an opinion now. So I always use that saying of, okay, nobody's moving. I have no proof of how, how long my days on market are or what my actual ARV is going to be. I have an idea, but they could be wrong. And if they're wrong, now I'm sitting on a property, I could lose money or lose somebody else's money. So yeah, they could be right. But if they could be right and they could be wrong to me, that's a 50-50 and that's gambling. I don't like those odds. So as much as I emotionally might like an area or like a specific property, it's not going to make sense for me to go in and buy that property if I can't prove my exit strategy and see that the data is telling me it. Whether I feel it's a bad area and the data tells me it's not it's a good area, that's what I'm going to listen to. I'm going to listen to the calculator because the calculator doesn't lie. Or if I think it's a good area, I have to be able to look at that and say, best and worst case scenario, I make money or I make less money. Not I can make money or I can lose money. To me, that's dangerous. That's gambling. And people shouldn't trust me with their money. If I'm just going to go do that, I might as well go to Vegas and throw it on black or red. So Again, my point here is don't care what market you're in. Pick a handful of markets, start engaging those markets, start getting analytics, start getting data back, and then analyze that data and figure out where's the good places to invest, where's the bad places to invest, and communicate with your team members to get that. Don't overanalyze this. Don't look for the perfect market. I don't care where you are. There's a place within a couple of hours of where you are that you can make a killing in real estate when you know what you're doing and you just start to make those moves. So don't use emotion. Don't get in your own head about it. Study the analytics, study the data, 
Don't worry about the emotion of what you think you know about an area. Look at the numbers. And the numbers are going to tell you if you want to buy a deal there or if you want to pass on that market. And we will build on it from there. So I appreciate you guys listening to me ramble about this a little bit. Hope it was helpful. I'm going to keep going into some topics and going more into some um, specific things on how to get things done and analyze different things on the real estate side and some more of the psychology side of it. www.nicknicknick.com slash links for all the links to this podcast and our social media, www.nicknicknick.com. We'll get you um, ways to partner with us. You can jump around on that site. We have our free ebook now, how to, uh, what changed during the coronavirus and what you need to know in this market right now. Free ebook, jump on nicknicknick.com slash links or just jump on the site. You will see the ebook link. Please jump on there and get a copy. And if you have any properties you wanna sell, you can make the contact with us on that site. If you're looking to buy some properties or personally invest to get some sort of return on your money or get into real estate investing, we have properties we can sell and get you into as well. So a couple of different ways to have this going. DanLamagna.com, if you want a free drum lesson virtually, you can definitely do that as well. And Naked Warriors CBD is going to be a sponsor on this show as well coming up soon. So I appreciate you guys listening to me. Please jump on that website. Also, I hate to be a pain in the butt, but please, if you can Google the A-Game Podcast iTunes, Click on that. It will give you the link and say, listen here on Apple Podcasts. You click on that, you scroll to the bottom. If you leave a review or hit five stars, it goes a very, very long way. Any questions or topics you want me to cover on these, please email podcast at nicknicknick.com. I hope everybody had a great 4th of July. Everybody's safe, happy, and healthy. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Nick Lamagna, The A-Game Podcast, signing off. The A-Game Podcast is sponsored by Nationwide Business Capital Group. If you're looking for competitive rates and terms for your real estate investments, you have found the right place. Have credit or full dock issues? No problem. Nationwide Business Capital Group has access to over 3,100 different investor-friendly loan programs in all 50 states to fit all your lending needs. From residential deals, multifamily, fix and flips, rentals, commercial buildings, financing and refinancing, among many others, they have options for absolutely everyone. Nationwide Business Capital Group's most popular loans vary from stated income to hard money loans, bank financing, bridge loans, lines of credit, or even non-recourse loan programs for financing as well as refinancing. No matter what the situation, from tons of experience to beginners or stellar credit to investors with past bankruptcies or foreclosures, Nationwide Business Capital Group is one of the most creative financing companies out there and will work around the clock to get your deals funded. Call or text Marianne today at 513-638-3654 or email Morse, M-O-R-S-E, at nationwidebcg.com to discuss your options. Mention the A-Game podcast to receive top priority for all of your funding needs. Pick up the phone and find out what makes Nationwide Business Capital Group different from all the rest, especially in these hard times. If you are looking for a lender who's still lending, still getting deals done, Nationwide Business Capital Group should be your first time.